The Money Show. The Big Issue. Take your calls on absolutely anything on your mind. And the big issue that we're looking at this evening is what does 2014 look like from an economic perspective? Yes, we've got the matric results, and you may want to talk more about that. Uh, but I was, I was just inspired and blown away by Theo Forster this evening, massively energized by the discussions he's had with chief executives of companies thriving on change. And certainly the world is going through an enormous amount of change at the moment. We saw the world come to the brink of financial apocalypse in 2008 and has gradually been massaged out of that financial crisis crisis by the U.S. Federal Reserve, which has printed an awful lot of money and, uh, and got itself into a huge pile of debt. But what the result is of that U.S. policy is that we see economic growth returning to the United States, and that economy seems to be on a far more stable short-term footing. What does that mean for us, I wonder? Well, George Glynos is in our Johannesburg studio this evening, and it's good to have you with us, George, the Economist and Managing Director at ETM Analytics. Give me a view quickly, please, of what you thought of 2013, incidentally, because it was a terribly good year for the stock market. Was it good for much else? Uh, good evening, Bruce. Um, thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, uh, 2013, I think you, you've summed it up quite nicely. Uh, it, it was um, almost a, a, a tale of two, two very disparate tales, one of the real economy, one of the financial economy. The real economy, I think, struggled a little bit. Uh, we, we were in a stabilization phase and roughly towards the middle of last year, um, according to our own internal business um, cycle indicator, we, we started um, into a downturn and that downturn has persisted roughly from the middle of last year into what we believe will extend through at least the first half of, of this year. What, what uh, constitutes a downturn. Please just clarify that for me. Well, because we, okay, we've got so economic growth. And, you know, things allegedly are better. Quite right. So, so to to be clear, we're not talking about a recession. We're not talking about negative growth. We're talking about uh, subtrend growth. So anything that 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 uh, is roughly between the one and and two and a half percent growth mark, which uh, I think everybody agrees is is sub is subpar for an economy, uh, an emerging economy like South Africa, that's got the kind of potential that it has, and, and could be growing at at least uh, two or three times that amount, and and certainly has even achieved. That in the past, um, th- this is is pretty soft growth. So it's a soft patch um, by another terminology, um, and, and effectively we we suspect that the soft patches is going to continue for for a while to come. Still, now at nectarine season, forgive me for giving you a fruity analogy here, but you get a soft patch on a nectarine, and the entire fruit goes rotten within a day. Um, how soft is this patch? How big is this patch? And how does the patch reharden? Well, it's it's. Um it, yeah, soft is uh, is 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 a good term to use. Uh, I think it raises the risk of a potential recession if uh, you have an adverse shock that hits the system, um, such as potentially a, an, another blow off in the rand to a twelve rand fifty to the dollar in a relatively short space of time. Something like that would uh, would, would be a scenario which could tilt the scales uh, in favour of of the economy slowing down uh, significantly further. Perhaps it would. Force the Reserve Bank into uh, into a phase of having to to hike interest rates. Um, let me also please just add that this is not our core view at this point. It's mm. it's uh, it's an indication of um, the fact that we are closer at more at risk uh, of entering a recession should we reach uh, a bumpy patch and, and some sort of a shock just in the economy because we are more vulnerable. Just explain to me the difference between a soft patch, a bumpy patch, and the benefit of hiking interest rates, which seems like economic suicide. 
Well, I think, you know, again, there's a, there's a clear mandate that the Reserve Bank has to follow, and that clear mandate is uh, price stability. And we do know that over the very long term, price stability is a key tenant in fostering longer-term sustainable growth. So one can't just uh, keep lowering interest rates. If lowering interest rates was the answer to all economic troubles, uh, we should all just pin it to 0% and, and be happy with that and, and, and grow abundantly. Uh, but if it's one thing that the U.S., the U.K., Japan, Europe has shown us is that zero interest rates on their own um, does not guarantee uh, growth. And, and so there's there's uh, a balance to be struck between uh, expenditure and, and, and fueling consumption in an economy and making sure that there's still some savings that can be drawn on in the future, uh, which can be unleashed uh, into things like investments that can prop up growth on a more sustainable level. So interest rates don't need to be looked at as, uh, as, as, a, as a necessary evil. Uh, it can be a really positive thing for those people that are saving, uh, and it certainly can help uh, to, to quite a large extent uh, to, to boost uh, the level of, of uh, the overall level of savings in an economy which can, of course, be utilized for mm. uh, investments. Well, and we're certainly we, we don't have nearly enough savings in South Africa. That much is, is patently clear. If you want to talk to George Glenos this evening, you just want to add to the conversation, you want to ask a question, you want to make a point, we'd love to hear from you on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. The, the bogeyman of inflation, which was supposed to have overtaken the world long ago because of all of this extra money being printed because of interest rates globally being low for as long as they have been, just has not materialized. It's been a fascinating thing to to watch not happen <laughs> I think uh, Bruce I think it all depends on on exactly where you're looking for it uh, you know we, we we tend to define inflation by this very very narrow definition that um, apparently prices are only relevant to us if it exists in in uh, the basket of goods that we buy at uh, at the shops at at your your pick and pay your checkers etc um, so it's uh, we, we like to think of, of inflation in, in a far broader sense so we we look at the general level of prices in an economy, and that can include asset prices. So we don't treat asset price inflation as simply wealth creation. Uh, We treat that as a form of inflation as well. And and if one has a look around the world, there certainly has been an abundant amount of of that kind of inflation. So if you look at asset prices, house prices in the UK, uh, there are fears that there might be a housing bubble building there. Uh, You look at some emerging market equity uh, markets, and, and they are looking straight including the JSE. The valuations on the JSE can no longer be regarded as cheap. Uh, if anything, I would say they're, they're looking on the expensive or stretch side. So I think there is inflation in the system. It's just been in the asset prices primarily because consumption demand has not been particularly strong. Uh, and consumption demand has, has been weak for a number of reasons. And we've had uh, a number of constraints that have come through the system. And they can range from uh, revaluation of, of property uh, uh, property revaluations by municipalities to etols to um, uh, inflation that sits at the upper band of of uh, the the three to six percent uh, target. There, there's a range of reasons why uh, there has been um, a, a constraint on disposable income, and that's been reflected. Uh, you can see it in the vehicle sales numbers, which have have uh, 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 started posting some some pretty dismal figures, as well as retail sales, which are, are showing signs of softening. Well, when we look at prices and you look at the 
official inflation rate of CP, uh, CPI rate of 5.5%. And I know you guys have done a lot of work over the years comparing the official inflation rate with, say, the price of a Wimpy Burger. And the price of a Wimpy Burger has gone up by more than twice the official inflation rate. And you argue that that's not necessarily a famous brands issue. It is simply the real price of goods. And that is illustrated in the fact that it is considerably harder to buy a starter home today than it was 10 years ago. Exactly right. Now, uh, first-time home buyers, for example, will be finding a tremendous amount of inflation um, as they try to to get themselves into the property market. So, you know, it's very difficult. Uh, One finds it very difficult to draw the distinction between uh, wealth creation and uh, inflation. Uh, I know that the central banks generally tend to look at asset price increases as wealth creation. Uh, we, We choose to look at it a little bit differently, not because we're cynical, but because we see these as prices just like any other. Uh, just because it's a financial uh, good doesn't, uh, we believe, change the, the composition that uh, if a price has gone up, mm. that is an inflation event. A guy in Cape Town who uh, is a regular contributor to my SMS line thinks you're mad, incidentally, by, uh, by classifying asset prices as inflationary. Uh, but the point is, if it costs more to buy a share or costs more to buy a home or costs more to buy a, a motor vehicle, for argument's sake, that, that is inflation. I mean, that is, that is part of the, what it costs in order to live. Well, you know, I think one needs to look at it in, in terms of, of saving. For example, uh, if, if it costs you more to save, uh, then you have lost some purchasing power of your, of your currency. If it costs you more to purchase a good in a shop, that's inflationary. If it costs mm. you more to purchase a home, that's inflationary. Uh, it, it depends very much on whether you're in the market already or, and whether you're not. If you're out of the market, in other words, if you're just fin- finishing school, looking for your first job, looking to purchase your vehicle or looking to purchase your house, uh, I can promise you you're not going to be looking at this as, a, as a necessarily a wealth creation vehicle at all. You're going to be uh, looking at how best you can afford something because uh, prices through the course of the past 10 years have run away from you. Uh, and that does, uh, does impact uh, negatively on, on uh, those lower income earners that uh, are trying as much as possible to get themselves into the position where they can afford uh, the so-called called assets, um, which through the course of time might stand them in good stead. But a lot of it, uh, one has to say, is due to uh, inflationary pressures. Yeah, inflationary pressures are very, very, very much present. We've also got interest rates, and you were referring to interest rates earlier as not being the panacea of all evils, as we've seen. Japan had uh, a very weak economy for the last 20 years, and they've subsequently devalued their currency, and that's seen a bit of growth come back into the Japanese economy. Interest rates in the United States have been at virtually zero for the last couple of years, and in South Africa we've had interest rates um, in at, at what the lowest levels in 40, 45 years, sitting at, uh, what, uh, the repo rate at five and a half percent yet the economy continues to be sluggish the other side of that coin says well if we hadn't had interest rates as low as that for as long as that we would have seen an economic calamity you know, it's, it's very difficult to argue on what might have been uh, yeah. because we, we simply don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that um, I, I think your, your assessment is, is pretty accurate. I think uh, we would have seen a, a more severe downturn. 
um, through the course of, of 2009 uh, had uh, the, the central banks not conducted uh, things like quantitative easing. Effectively, though, we need, to, we need to understand exactly what they did. First and foremost, they bailed out a banking system. Uh, and they bailed out a banking system because uh, in, in, in modern-day economies, a banking system is pretty much the lifeblood of, of any credit system. And credit, as we know, uh, is, uh, is, um, is, again, a, a vital uh, a vital uh, source of, of funding for a lot of the consumption that takes place in an economy and, and modern-day economies by virtue of the fact that interest rates have been reduced to the levels that they have, um, have, have become more structured towards consumption. Mm. So, so by virtue of the fact that we utilize so much credit in a modern-day economy, it was extremely important that they bailed out the banks. And the one way that they were able to do so was through the policies that they implemented at the time. That's all very well and fine, and, and perhaps they did save us from uh, you know, a, 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 a dangerous calamity. I think the, the issue now, though, is, is the consequence of that because we're going to be living with these consequences for a while to come. So asset prices have increased uh, substantially as a result of it. Asset prices generally have reset to a much higher level as a result of, of much, much lower interest rates, and, and that does come at a cost. And, and again, that cost uh, potentially is, is financial instability. Uh, if, if at some point in the future there is a shock to the system and interest rates do normalize, uh, in other words, rise by a few percentage points, are uh, global economies going to be able to withstand such a, a reset in interest rates given that they are so structured and dependent now on interest rates being as low as they are. And so there's a natural fragility that has increased across the globe, uh, which is why uh, markets respond so strongly to any talk of, of tapering or tightening of monetary policy for the very reason that they've become so addicted to the low interest rates, they've structured themselves around this low interest rate environment that now uh, to withdraw that stimulation holds with it significant consequences and some of those might be negative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we sit, we sit in a, a very, very difficult environment. A couple of questions on the inflation rate for you this, this, this evening, George. Um, the calculation of inflation is a farce. Year on year, virtually every expense I've got has gone up by more than the inflation rate. It's just a tool to keep salary increase is lower than the real cost of living is one comment. Another is, well, what is the real inflation rate according to him? That's you, asks Herbert in Morningside. Herbert will be happy to know that uh, we are in fact looking at at uh, potentially putting together our very own uh, inflation rate because, uh, like like him, we have also uh, uh, tended to find the, uh, in our personal inflation rates being being higher than than that quoted by the official statistics. I mean, you guys um, went and did some chicken shopping toward the end of last year in the four ways <laughs> area, and you found the chicken prices in the last six months of last year went up by something like thirty percent, courtesy of the uh, the protectionist levies put on by the Department of Trade and Industry on imported birds. Yeah, sure. So there, there, there are a lot of those those sorts of examples, and in fact, um, you know, I mean, uh, are very rudimentary, and I, I must say, not particularly scientific. But um, we we're doing it as a as as a rough and ready calculation of the kind of inflation rate we would um, experience as as uh, members, staff members at ETM, uh, and the inflation rate was was quite a little bit higher than than what we're experiencing, uh, or what gets reflected in in the the official uh, CPI numbers. So. So that poses uh, an interesting challenge for us to to have a look, see whether or not there is a way for us to 
to, to look at constructing our own uh, inflation measure, it's a huge task. Uh, if you understand the amount of resources that SA utilizes oh, to create yeah. uh, a CPI, it really is a substantial undertaking. So, so it, it, we, we're going to be looking at ways uh, and means to see if we can come up with something that uh, we believe is, is uh, representative of what we're experiencing at the moment. But we do share the frustration of many out there um, in, in terms of, of uh, believing that inflation may be a little bit stronger than than what we see in the the official stats. When you say a little bit, I mean, is it a six and a half? Is it a seven and a half? Is it an eight percent inflation rate? What is your initial research? Uh, prob- probably closer to your upper limits there, Bruce. Sure. Um, but uh, again, it it all depends on what you choose to put in your basket. Um, uh, and uh, we again, we don't have the the resources to be able to do mm. uh, a full on assessment of of what gets bought and what doesn't get bought. So for us, like I said to you, it was uh, very much a rudimentary, very simplistic uh, assessment of of some of the goods that we purchase regularly, such as your coffees, your teas, mm. um, sugar. Uh, you know. Um, uh, consumables that uh, an ordinary household would go through from one month to the next. I and, see. Uh, I see an evil plot by your staff, George, because all they <laughs> want is above inflation rate increases. So they're going to manipulate the number to suit themselves, so that they can force you to give you them bigger than average increases, um, so that they can benefit. You see, you've got to be possibly. careful about this. Th- th- thanks for the heads up. No, absolutely, they'll never talk to me again, of course. But that's that's another story. Um, the rand. We spoke about it earlier. I mean, we've had a horrible blowout in the currency over the holiday season. We're sitting at uh, uh, levels uh, not too far away from the disaster of 2001. Right, so um, the rand we still see as a, a fragile currency, and um, we see it as as a, a currency that remains fragile, largely as a result of of uh, a persistent current account deficit, um, which which really raises the the fragility quite significantly, as well as uh, the negative real interest rates, which we think are, are part and parcel of what makes a currency uh, generally more fragile. So we we think that these uh, these factors are still playing out. Um, we have done our own in-house assessments of uh, uh, true value or true fair value for, for the RAND and um, the latest assessments put us closer to the sort of 9 RAND, 70 to 10 RAND to the dollar. So th- this is not, uh, we, we're not uh, significantly, we've deviated a bit from it, but not uh, to the kind of extents that we've seen in, in previous blouts like we saw in 2001 and, and 1998. Uh, so, so potentially this RAND has uh, the ability to to weaken quite a bit further and and it and, and it shows in the price action that we 've been seeing over the past couple of months whenever the rand has shown any potential to uh, stage a, a recovery albeit a mini recovery uh, quickly we we find that it uh, isn 't sustained and, and starts to move in in the wrong direction once more and it 's born out of a whole bunch of factors but um, effectively our current account deficit is quite rigid because we 've got a tremendous amount of of fixed investment and infrastructural investment that we need to undertake in this in, in this economy. Um, um, and that cannot be uh, stopped just because uh, the rand has has uh, yeah. weakened slightly, um, as well as as uh, some other factors which um, equally uh, are, are are proving um, stubborn, um, such as interest rates that are continuing to fuel consumption above production, and so these factors build these imbalances and they get reflected in in a currency that is fragile. Uh, and then perhaps uh, appropriate on a day like today where we have our matric results, the seventy eight percent. 78.2% pass rate uh, we're coming out today. The fact that there just aren't the jobs in the economy to absorb even the most talented of this year's matriculants in, at any point in the next five years. 
Unfortunately, that's the sad reality uh, that we live with, uh, and and I, for one, am, am relatively cynical on these um, on these uh, um, uh, metric results. Uh, I, for one, believe that uh, we should be focusing on quality above quantity. Uh, I think that's far more important uh, for everybody concerned. Uh, we need to raise levels of of quality to such a point. Uh, where those people that do matriculate uh, can find themselves uh, more easily employable because there's no point in creating um, a, a whole lot more uh, matriculants that uh, cannot be directly employed because the skills levels that the, the, that have been produced are still too weak. Uh, so, so I think that's part and parcel of a structural change that needs to take place in South Africa to, to help boost things like productivity, which are, are in, we're in desperate need of. Give me a view, please, uh, a synopsis of what you see in the year ahead. Um, get your crystal ball out, Madam Zingara, and uh, give us a thought. Yeah, so uh, we, we see a, a tough first half of the year uh, in, in terms of a continuation of what we saw towards uh, the, the latter quarter of, of 2013. Uh, but uh, due to that, we, we also see an improvement in the second half of, of the year. So a tougher first half, uh, an improvement in the second half, inflation to remain Broadly within the five to six percent uh, band throughout most of the year, barring any any significant shock, uh, the rand we think uh, can still weaken further from these levels, um, and unless we see uh, some sort of uh, 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 a, a, a significant announcement out of either U, the U.S. Fed or another a significant development out of the eurozone, I think uh, rand does not necessarily blow off, but just grinds weaker. Um, and insofar as employment, unfortunately, we don't see any any major improvement on that front. It's still a, a grinding slog to produce uh, uh, employment in, in South Africa. On that cheerful note, George Linus, thank you very much for your perspective this evening here on The Money Show. A look ahead to what's going to be a tough 2014 with George Linus, who is the Managing Director of ETM Analytics. Thanks very much for coming through this evening. Thank you, Bruce.